Hello everybody, this is a sermon for Easter Sunday. I sat down to write this sermon on Saturday morning, yesterday, having just read the latest crisis update on BBC News. Consequently, my head was spinning. In the last 24 hours, 980 people had died in UK hospitals. The worst day of the outbreak so far. More than 2,000 had died in the US. There were arguments taking place over how to end the lockdown. The only thing agreed on was that it was going to be a long time yet before normality returned. And then there had been a particular focus on migrants, those poor people stuck in Calais as they flee from war, torture and abuse. These refugees are desperate for the basics, food, clothing, sanitation, while the virus sweeps through their makeshift camp. As one volunteer had described the scene, he cried out the words, I am sick of this world. How do we even begin to process this stuff? This virus feels different to other news stories. We're used to watching the news, feeling sorry about it, but then turning it off and forgetting. The scenes we have witnessed far too far away from our daily reality. But that is not the case this time. We are very much affected by this. We all fear the virus reaching Isla. We all know people who are either ill or grieving. We are all frustrated by the lockdown and deeply miss our family. We are all anxious about the unknown. Of course, there are moments of joy. Our lives are not all dark. There might have been the phone call with a friend the kindness of a volunteer food package, the hopeful story of Boris Johnson's recovery and Stan's flashing tie on Wednesday night. We cling on to these moments, and rightly so, but these highs do sometimes accentuate the lows. We, we feel like we're on a roller coaster of emotion and it's utterly exhausting. And so with all of this going round and round my mind, I sat down with my Bible and I looked again at the Easter story. What did I see? Well, this time I saw tears. Four sets of tears, human tears, tears wept by people just like you and me. You see, that first Holy Week was emotionally charged as well. And only when we realise that can we begin to comprehend just how good the news is on Easter Sunday morning. The first tears we see in Easter week are the tears wept over evil. And just so that we all know that it's okay for us to cry, including grown men, these tears were wept by Jesus himself. These tears were on Palm Sunday. This is Luke nineteen forty-one to 42. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes.
We often think of Palm Sunday as a joyous occasion, at a time of great celebration. But Jesus wept. Why? Because he knew what was really going on. The people celebrated because they thought their king had come to lead the armed revolt, to throw out Rome. Jesus had come to do nothing of the sort. He'd come to bring peace. It was the people's insistence on violence and bloodshed as the only answer to their problems that led them ultimately to reject Jesus as their Messiah. In this way, evil had blinded their eyes. The consequences of this constant thirst for war would be devastating. The very next verses in Luke 19 are Jesus uttering a prophecy that because they rejected his way of peace, the city of Jerusalem would soon be destroyed. As Jesus looked into the future, he wept at the people's coming suffering. And he was right to do so. History tells us that Rome's flattening of Jerusalem in response to the Jewish uprising was brutal. In many ways, Israel never recovered. So Jesus wept over this evil. He he wept over the way evil blinds people's eyes. He wept over the way it turns people away from the path of God. Jesus wept in the same way that Calais volunteer did on the news as he retold stories of rape and torture and the West's indifference towards these people's plight. The way we see migrants as a pest rather than as those in desperate need of help. When evil is present, it's right to be angry. Tears are the right response. The second set of tears we see in Easter week are the tears wept over sin. On the Thursday night, Jesus' close friend Peter denies that he even knew him. Not just once or twice, but three times. Peter had been so sure of himself, so vehement in his belief that he would never let his master down. So when he realised he had done it, The blow was crushing. These are verses 60 to 62 of Luke 22. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. These were bitter tears indeed. Bravado had been humiliated by failure. An ego had been broken. Sin had been realised. In this moment, Peter knows the sense of failure that comes from not even being able to live up to his own standards for himself, let alone God's standards. As Jesus looked Peter in the eye, the tears came thick and fast. I have wept tears like these, tears of frustration, 
tears of humiliation, tears of utter regret as I know I've let loved ones down. I've let my family down, my wife down, myself down. I am a sinner. I constantly make mistakes. I go the wrong way and I hate that. I'm sure you've experienced the same thoughts. When we know we have sinned, it's right to feel remorse. Tears are the right response. The third set of tears in Easter week are those specifically wept over death. The scenes of Good Friday were horrific. So bad, I couldn't even bring myself to put a video in Friday's Daily Connect as I tried to tell the story because I couldn't watch them myself. The women there that day did not have that luxury. They were forced to watch on, as the one they loved was brutally executed. As the already bloodied and battered Christ staggered under the weight of his own cross while carrying it to the site of his death, we read these words. This is Luke twenty-three twenty-seven. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. The depth of the women's pain took them past just a few tears. Their weeping was now wailing. They are watching their loved one be killed right before their very eyes. It was a terrible, terrible thing. Death takes our words away, doesn't it? In the hospital ward, by the hospice bed, in the chapel of rest, or by the side of a grave, there are no words. No words that can really do justice to how we are feeling. Death hurts. It really hurts. When death is present, it is right to cry. Men and women, old and young, tears are the right response. So tears wept over evil. Tears wept over sin. Tears wept over death. Just in case we are in any doubt, the Easter story is real. It is real human history, telling of real human emotions. The Easter story is our story. These events involve us in the most profound of ways. The evil that we see here is the same evil we suffer under. The sin that we see is the same sin that we commit. The death that we read of is the same death that we run away from and hang our heads under its weight. Jesus was human in every way like us and therefore his cross affects us in every way. But of course... The cross was not the end of the story. Three days later, something glorious happened. On Easter Sunday morning, in the passage we read in John, we heard these words spoken to Mary Magdalene. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
We know why Mary is crying. We've just answered that. She's crying from grief. But actually, there's a little more to it than that. On the Sunday, Mary had gone to the tomb very early in the morning to anoint Jesus' body with spices. It was to have been one last act of devotion. But when she got there, the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. The emotional roller coaster of that week had just taken one last descent, one final plummet into the depths of despair. Mary is all wrung out. She is emotionally exhausted. She breaks down and she weeps once more, perhaps the last tears left inside her. But then suddenly everything changes. Everything changes, and John records it in wonderful simplicity. In verse 16 of chapter 20, Jesus said to her, Mary, the risen Lord Jesus calls Mary by name. He calls her by name. It is gentle. It is loving. It is oh so personal. Our loved ones have a way of specifically toning their voice when they call our names. I could spot Emily's voice calling Andrew amongst a huge crowd. When I'm sad or upset, it's her voice I want to hear. Somebody else could say exactly the same words, but they wouldn't have the same effect. The comfort is in the tone, not the words themselves. I'm sure you've experienced this yourself. When you have been upset or unwell and your parent or your spouse or your friend has drawn near to offer you care. In an instant, Mary knew whose that voice was. It was Jesus. He was alive again. And Mary turns and exclaims aloud in excited response. In no time at all, she's stopped crying and she's hot-footing her way to tell the others. She doesn't understand it. She's not processed it. She hasn't figured out all the implications yet. But Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated and that changes everything. The risen Lord Jesus has come to her and dried her tears. He has dried her tears. We need to know this today. The resurrection means death is defeated. The resurrection means Jesus is alive. The resurrection means that Jesus is longing to come to each and every one of us and dry the tears of our grief. Whether it be the grief of losing a loved one, the grief of watching on the news as mass graves are being dug in New York, or the grief that comes from the awareness that one day we too will die, an awareness the coronavirus has made all too real, The resurrection has the power to dry those tears. Because Jesus died, when we die, we will live. Mary discovered that. We can know it too, if we turn to Jesus now. 
But the Easter story is not finished yet. Indeed, it's only just begun. After hearing Jesus call her name, Mary hurtles off to tell the other disciples, and gradually over the next few days, more and more of them start to meet Jesus for themselves, and they have their tears dried for them also. But in the next chapter of John, we read a wonderful story. Jesus recalls Peter. I won't go into all of it now. Peter was out fishing with his friends. Jesus appears on the beach, cooks a barbecue breakfast in anticipation of their arrival. As Peter sees him, he throws himself off the boat, wades through the water and comes to Jesus' side. And then Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times to heal the three denials that Peter had made on the Thursday of Christ's arrest. The point is this. Because Jesus is alive, he can dry the tears wept over our sin. Because Jesus rose again, we know he really was the Son of God. That means the cross worked. That the perfect God gave up his innocent life so that we, stained and mired by sin as we are, could receive it. Without the resurrection, the cross was a failure. With it, it's the greatest victory ever won. We are truly forgiven. In this lockdown, I've snapped at Emily. I've moaned at her. I guess we've all taken our frustrations out on our loved ones. And we regret this greatly. But today we know that we're forgiven for it. And not just for this, but for all the sins stretching back through our inglorious history and the sins still to come in the future. The risen Jesus comes to us like he did to Peter, and he dries the tears of our remorse and regret. But incredibly, the best is still to come. So far we thought about the resurrection on a rather personal level. It promises us hope beyond death, life beyond the grave, and dries our tears of grief. It promises us forgiveness for our many sins. But the resurrection goes much further than this. The resurrection promises us that one day all evil will be removed from God's world entirely. Jesus is risen and reigning and because of that one day he's going to come back to this earth and claim what is rightfully his and on that day sin will be dealt with, evil will be removed and all will be restored. The Bible says that heaven and earth will come together and all God's people will live in his presence forevermore. And if the news stories that led to this sermon made my head spin then this really blows the mind. But the Bible pronounces this truth quite simply in Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. Do you get it? No more tears. With no evil, there is no suffering. All is at peace. Clearly we're not there yet. But one day we will. The resurrection guarantees it. Nothing can alter this course. No virus, no war, no environmental disaster. After death, fully forgiven, the people of God will rise with their Lord and live with God face to face in an evil-free world. Hold on to this news this Easter. I urge you, really hold on to it. As you listen to this, may you know the risen Lord Jesus with you right now. May you know him ministering to you by his Holy Spirit. May you know Jesus calling your name. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. Evil will be removed. May our tears be dried.